Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Hey, Open Mic Podcast listeners. Want to share your opinions, give me feedback, or tell me what you're thinking? If you do, send me a voice message. Voice messages are an easy way for you to send me audio that might end up in future episodes of the podcast. They're the latest feature from Anchor, the platform that I use to make this show. Here are some things that I would love to hear from you. What questions do you have for me? What did you think of the episode? What did you think of the topic? Who should I interview next? Make up a theme song. I don't know. Do your best impression of me. I'll see all of your messages and I might add them into a future episode. Anchor makes that part super easy. You can send me a voice message right now from wherever you're at, wherever you're listening. Just tap the link in my show notes and I can't wait to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to the Open Mic Podcast. Until next time, cheers and be well and enjoy today's episode. It's time for the Open Mic Podcast with your host, Brett Allen. Broadcasting live from the Bay Area studios, here at the Open Mic, no topic is off limits. And of course, you never know who may stop by. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 146 of the Open Mic Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Robin Farman Farmian. She is an angel investor. She's an author. We are going to be talking about her new book, The Thought Leader Formula, how to strategically leverage your expertise to drive business and career goals. She does it all, and I'm super excited for you to check out this conversation that we had. She was the absolute best, one of the nicest people that I've ever met, and we just had a grand old time. The weekend's coming. Don't know what your plans are, but hit us up. Let us know. OpenMikeGuest at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts, your questions, your feedback. We would love to hear from you from all across the globe, from the United States, all the way to Britain, Asia. I mean, just all kinds of people are listening in everywhere. And it is a true honor and blessing to be able to produce the show. So enough uh, chit chat for me, Robin Farman Farmian. Welcome into the podcast. It is good to have you here today. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you are very busy and I thank you for taking the time to be with me here today. You just released a book. You do speaking events. You're an angel investor. You do so many things. Why don't you just share with us briefly, because I think most people are pretty familiar with who you are, but just for those joining in who this might be the first time, what it is that you do exactly and how this all started for you specifically. Sure. So I am a professional speaker, entrepreneur, and angel investor. The companies I focus on happen to be in healthcare and med tech, although my new book is essentially Marketing and Branding 101. It's called The Thought Leader Formula. So I'll talk about that in a second. But my day job is driving high-level business development for companies that are poised to impact at least 100 million patients or more. Wow. So how did you start doing this? Because it's not typically something that you would here at a high school career day or something like that. Unless I'm speaking. <laughs> Unless you are, yes. And then if you are speaking, then everybody should want to do what you do because you have a very cool job. I do. So I've created a career for myself that didn't exist. And I am what you call essentially a life hacker. And so because I'm a severe chronic disease patient, when I was 16, I was misdiagnosed with an autoimmune disease. By 19, they'd taken out my entire large intestine. By 26, they had me on 80 milligrams a day of methadone. And so that, at that point, I decided to 
completely fire my healthcare team, take control of my healthcare, hack it, ended up getting diagnosed correctly, put on a medication called Remicade and went into remission overnight. And at that point it had been 13 years. So that's why my job, um, why I've created this career uh, to impact 100 million patients because I believe in paying it back by paying it forward. So let's talk about your book, The Thought Leader Formula. This is not your first book, correct? This is your second one that you've written. And the first one deals more with the medical side of things and how that all started. But I want to talk about The Thought Leader Formula. What was the motivation to write this book in particular? Because there are a lot of books out there like this, but I feel like that this one really stands apart from the rest. Because it's just my personal life story. So my first book, The Patient as CEO, really helped propel me in the professional speaking world. And I did that very strategically. About five or six years ago, I found I was being, you know, found a lot of sexual harassment and bias and Mm -hmm. bullying in the workplace from a lot of men. And I realized early, you could not fight that through things like HR and legal channels. It destroys the victim, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, and it's just not a good place. It's why why keep having that trauma over and over again by trying to fight it? I decided instead to change the game. And I said, you know what, if I'm a professional speaker and I'm making ten dollars to $25,000 for a keynote, I'm protected. They can mm. no longer push me down because I'm the one on stage in front of 3,000 people for 60 minutes and they're listening to me. So no one can pretend that I'm the EA. Nobody can you know, bully me behind the scenes and expect to be able to get away with it. And let me tell you, the day that first book published, it was like turning off a light switch. Wow. I have not been bullied sexually harassed or faced any type of bias since that came out. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's a great book. And I want to talk about some key points of that. So one of the things that you talk a lot about is that people don't interact with brands. They interact with people in particular. Now brands are big like Coke and Pepsi. I mean, the list goes on and on really as far as what that brand could be, but what is your particular opinion or perspective on that? Because that's not something that you probably would hear typically from an ad agency. I mean, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it it does. But because I'm looking at this from a very different point of view. So I took my five-year project plan that I created myself for myself to be a professional speaker. And that's what I've turned into the system. So that not only other women, but anyone who's faced any kind of bias or just wants to get ahead in their career. Mm-hmm. And because it's marketing and branding 101... Um, it really looks at an individual being able to pull up a company in the world of marketing, sure. whether you're an entrepreneur or if you are in a fortune 100 people interact with people, not brands. And so if you're working for GE, do you think GE is on Facebook? What's more, what's more effective GE as a brand with a fate with no face behind it, interacting with you on social media and getting up on stage or is someone like Beth Comstock, who used to work for GE, getting up on stage and being recognizable as a personality of GE. Which one is more effective? Well, obviously, I think having a figurehead or a talking head is definitely going to get more people attracted, like Michael Jordan and Jordans. Like, if Nike just decided that they wanted to put out a shoe and didn't get him to stand behind it, it probably wouldn't be nearly as successful as it has been. <laughs> so in my exactly. opinion, at least. 
Exactly. And so that's what I'm doing is I'm, I'm giving you that system because it doesn't need to be only one person inside of a company. There is room for a huge number of thought leaders inside the company because you're all individually experts in a vertical. And the more faces that are out there, you don't necessarily have to be like I can continue with, say, GE example, just because it's so such a big company. Um, what you can do instead, you can have like 40 thought leaders inside of GE. They're not representing GE specifically like GE doesn't say, oh, go and be the GE representative. They may be doing things on their own, but they mm -hmm. are experts in a vertical that is tangential or um, at least butts up pretty, pretty well against what they're doing in their day job. And that is what is attractive to customers, whether it's B2B or B2C. Yeah, I think so. That's a very good point. I, you know, it's interesting with, with social media becoming so prevalent and popular today. Do you really think that that's going to be maybe the future for getting messages out to people like LinkedIn and I don't know, Instagram now is becoming a thing as far as like businesses promoting. Do you feel that traditional outlets for that are going to go away and it's just going to be all strictly social media in the future maybe? I mean, I think it's not the future necessarily as the now. Okay. You know, you look around and, and that's what every brand is doing. What it is, is the next step of influencers. Because mm -hmm. right now everyone's freaking out about influencers on Instagram. Oh, yeah. But they have very limited shelf life. Really? Right? Okay. As, as any model would. Sure. No, that right? makes sense. That's a fair point. Yeah. Or any uh, music pop stars, right? Music pop stars and models have tiny shelf life. So there are very, very few that can be the Madonna, right? And so this way, thought leaders are known for their brain and mm -hmm. they evolve. You can't evolve as well as an influencer. It's very difficult and it requires you know, continuous and constant posting mm -hmm. of things. Whereas a thought leader doesn't because a thought leader, it has a day job inside of a company or they're an entrepreneur or maybe they're a scientist or a physician and they are making money in other ways. And then they're known for their brains and for being really good at their industry. So what is your take on the idea or the topic of entrepreneurship? Because personally, I feel like it's a term that a lot of people use, but it's like a square peg in a round hole, if that analogy makes sense. Because a lot of people, I consider you fully and completely 100% to be an entrepreneur. You've, you know, it's just a thing that you do. It's in your blood and your DNA. Do you feel that anybody can just do that or it takes a very specific skill set and personality and I ask this of everyone so I would love your input on that particularly I believe okay so first I just have to tell you you're talking to someone who is five foot one inch in heels and I am 88 pounds on a heavy day and I played six years competitive varsity ice hockey okay oh wow Interesting. Yeah. Including I love for it. Bo including for Boston University, which at the time was not Division One, but it is now Division One in female ice hockey. So I believe that it is possible for anybody to do whatever they put their mind, mm -hmm. hard work, and capital towards. So absolutely, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you just have to figure out how to do that. That might be education. And I teach people in my new book how to hack their education. Oh, Wow. Yeah, because I actually only have a BS in hospitality management, if you can believe it. And I give 60-minute keynotes to audiences of 3,000 physicians on technology and medicine. 
it's because I hacked my education and I went to Harvard, Stanford, Dartmouth, Berkeley, Stanford, Golden Gate, and Boston University, but I only got a degree from BU. You mentioned something about education, and I want to ask your thoughts on that. I'm sorry for the sidetrack, but when you talk about things, my brain just clicks, and I want to ask you about this because it's a one-shot that I have with you. <laughs> Do you feel education is as important today as it was maybe 10 years ago to get a job? And I, if you don't have one opinion or another, I don't want to back you into a corner, but there's a lot of that out there that education doesn't matter. It's just a, you know... $50,000 receipt. What do you, what do you think about that? I am, uh, so I, as I said, I mean, I hacked it, so I only have sure. a BS management, but I had a very strong foundation in education. I believe education as itself, education in general, this is a lifelong thing. You need to dedicate your life to being mm -hmm. a learner. And I do believe that that first 20 to 25 years, you should be spending essentially 95% of your time learning. Sure. Right. And now whether that means getting a BS or an MBA or an MD or a JD, that is really up to the individual. I mm -hmm. don't believe in be beyond things like MDs and JDs. I'm not sure that things like MBAs are very useful compared to just spending that couple of years and all that money investing in yourself, being an intern or low level in a very cutting edge company. Right. I mean, you wouldn't go see a dentist who learned how to be a dentist on YouTube. <laughs> well, you can't do that, right? You know, like there right. are licensing requirements. Sure, sure. That's a valid point. <laughs> yeah, I don't want my heart surgeon to go to YouTube school. No, no. But I mean, those those are skills that require licensing and, and very specific paths. But if you're going to be a generalist or you're going to be in just business, like business in general, business is learnable outside of school, unlike medicine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're an entrepreneur, thought leadership is how you drive your company forward. How does that work for you? And how can some folks practically apply that if that's not how they're used to doing things, so to speak? Well, sure. So to set up that scenario, essentially, I'm an early stage entrepreneur and I've worked with 25 companies at this point. I, with people, you know, my, my teams range from two people to 50 and that's it. Right. So Usually, most people are unknown. The idea is brand new. The company has no marketing and branding behind it. And all of a sudden, you need funding or you need partnerships with major mm -hmm. corporations because that's how you succeed in the world of entrepreneurship. Sure. You need to get that revenue or partnership in some way. But you can't just knock on the CEO of this Fortune 2000 company, right? And you can't just knock on the VC's doors. There is a huge line of other entrepreneurs waiting to get that five minutes, right? So what differentiates you is that thought leadership. You can email any of those people and um, when they wouldn't have necessarily taken your call, if they now Google your name and they see all these videos on how smart you are on this individual subject, all of a sudden, before you even talk to them, they trust you. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly important in the world of entrepreneurship. So what are the common mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make or thought leaders make that you wish you could just you're so busy and I'm sure you have lots of people reaching out to you, always asking for advice, but just a quick soundbite on some common mistakes that you see these folks making and how they can better themselves to get what it is that they want. So the biggest mistake, and I see this over and over, is not having a strategy and just putting content out there willy-nilly mm -hmm. and think that's going to actually do anything. And I'm like, you just literally dropped a penny 
at the national debt. Like, <laughs> you're not going to do anything that way. You need to understand who your customer is. And your customer may not be a transactional relationship. If you're trying to get ahead in your career and, and go from VP level to C-suite level or whatever it is, uh, maybe your customer is your boss and your mm. boss's boss. Right? And yeah, so absolutely. understanding your strategy because – that in and of itself, if what you're trying to do is, is reach the CEO of your own corporation so that they take you more seriously or you can go into another company that's very similar, is by getting the right content out there in the messaging that they will understand, that they will relate to, that they want to read, and that will show off your skills. Yes, I, I think that's true. You, you just have to be very specific, I think. And the whole concept of staying in your lane, too, I think is important, right? Would you agree with that? Exactly. Become, and that's really essentially launching a vertical. And that's another lesson from Silicon Valley. Every startup that is successful knows you can't just launch to the world. No. That will not work. You have to pick a very well-defined market that you can launch a vertical. For instance, like at HealthTap, I was, I was employee number one at that company. It's now about 10 years old. It's in telemedicine and things like that. Mm -hmm. And our first vertical was pregnancy and new moms. Okay. That's it. Right. Even though we wanted to be telemedicine for every single disease and disorder out there. Right. First vertical was just pregnant and new moms because that was a well-defined vertical and we could get data back on that. Wow. Wow. And I didn't realize I forgot. I just figured it out. You're local. You're in Palo Alto, correct? So you're in the heart of Silicon Valley. I'm in San Jose. So we're kind of oh. close to each other. I know. I didn't realize it. So and this could probably be an offline conversation, but I would love to have you on again at some point and do a live interview with you because I feel like our time is so limited here to talk about things. But being in the heart of Silicon Valley, there's just idea, idea after idea. What what type of idea or concept is, from what you're familiar with, even let's say the medical industry, is going to stand apart from the thousands of other people trying to get funding from VCs, what, what makes the big difference? So it is having that strong personal brand, which comes down to two components and that's it. It's very simple. What is your why and what is your fundamental truth? Mm -hmm. And those two combined together is what we call in the world of sales and marketing, your differentiating factor, mm -hmm. right? That's also your sales hook. And so it really, it, it can get the message across to people quickly and cleanly. So let's take you as an angel investor. If someone's coming to pitch you, what are some things that you're looking for if someone wants to come and pitch you for funding? I know we've talked about a lot of different concepts, but if they're the same, that's cool and we can move on. Or if there's something different that you're looking for as a VC, if somebody wants to come to you for funding, because you're an angel investor. Yep. So I, and I'm actually writing an article on this now because I think this is something that most entrepreneurs don't quite realize if it's their first company is do your research, do know this angel or VC, because if someone looks at my LinkedIn, it is crystal clear on the type of companies that I invest in mm -hmm. and that I work on. And I, all of a sudden, for some reason, when I put up angel, suddenly I had people who work in blockchain, who work in oh, social boy. media, who have, who work in engineer, whatever it was. And I'm like, did you not look at my LinkedIn page? If the investor oh has never invested in a company that's extremely similar to yours, they are not going to invest in yours. 
right? And so like, if you come to me, you better have an early stage pharmaceutical or an early stage medical device that needs FDA approval. And if it's not in those two categories and attacking one of the biggest diseases that will impact at least 100 million patients, which means things like diabetes, cancer, disease, cancer, um, exactly, CAD, coronary artery disease, and neuro. Like if it's not in one of my main buckets, which is all on my LinkedIn, <laughs> I'm not even going to take the time to respond to you because you didn't bother to research me. So research is key. So if somebody has a new dating app, <laughs> you're not the, the person to come to. <laughs> no, you need, if, you, if someone has a new dating app, the first thing, and this is what I tell all entrepreneurs, <laughs> go look at who invested in all the top 10 other dating apps out there. I love it. I love it. That's just a little fun and being and being playful there. But I, I think research is important because you have shows like Silicon Valley on Showtime. I don't know if you've seen that or other shows where they're going in and doing all these pitches. You know, obviously you have to be prepared for what you're doing. You have to know your competition, especially in the medical industry. Do you feel that that industry in particular is oversaturated with people coming up with new ideas or do you feel like there is plenty of breath there for, for people to come and try and come up with new concepts and ideas to, to make those things better. Oh, so healthcare in the United States is a thrill, three trillion dollar industry. There's room. <laughs> the more people who want to innovate inside of our healthcare system, mm -hmm. the better. And uh, what's, what could seem crowded potentially is things like the digital health space and the wellness sure. space. Those are the easy spaces to get into, but the stuff that I do is the hard stuff. And when you're talking about an early stage pharmaceutical, you're talking 20 years mm -hmm. before you're commercialized. And that's if you can get through FDA, right? These are, wow. these are tough types of, of their long-term investments. I don't expect to see money on my investments for five to 15 years. And not to get too deep into the weeds about this in particular, because I have some more questions about your book. But the FDA seems to really be tightening down now even more when it comes for people trying to get these trials run. And let's talk about like the natural organics, plant-based types of ideas. People have a new pill for this or a new pill for that. Yep. It seems like it's impossible almost to even get FDA trials done, right? And those. Nope. It's uh, not. Okay. No, it's actually, it's incredibly easy. It's, it takes money and time, significant money and time, but it is, is actually, if your thing works, you, it's just red tape. Mm -hmm. And so to get a medical device to market, you're looking at 30 million to get through clinical trials. If you're lucky. Wow. And then you've got to commercialize. Um, and so these supplements or, or these, you know, over the counter stuff or whatever it is that are going direct to consumer just are not um, are either not able or, or don't know how to raise, you know, three series rounds that will end up equaling 30 to 50 million dollars and hiring the people who understand how to run a clinical trial. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's unbelievable. That That's a whole nother conversation for itself. So in the book, you also talk about traditional marketing, and we touched on this a little bit, but kind of encouraging businesses or people to sort of move away from that and try to use the thought leadership more as a main marketing tool. How, how can folks practically do that? Uh, so what you need to do is, is look at um, your company's marketing strategy, right? And 
then when you decide to come up with your own personal branding, I take you through the system on, on identifying your why as it relates to that company, your fundamental truth as it relates to that company again, right? And so you're just building a marketing plan around having the thought leaders being the one who's pushing out the content, the ones who are getting up on stages, the ones who are recording videos, but they're mm -hmm. inside the company. It's just part of the marketing plan. Mm -hmm. Gender bias. I think that is a huge topic, especially in this day and age that we're in, man, oh man. It just yep. continues to go and go and go. And I'm not even talking about stuff that's happened recently. I'm just saying it's because of that, I think it's becoming more and more of an issue that I feel like needs to be talked about. How can thought leadership sort of combat that and make people more aware of what's happening and to sort of fight it. So that is actually why I wrote the book, because even though I knew it was bifurcating my brand out of healthcare and into marketing and branding is because I had this solution and it worked for me. And I'm like, if it worked for me, it can work for other people. Mm -hmm. And so my solution for me too is, is two step. First step, get known for your ideas. Step two, send the elevator back down for other women to join you at the top. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Love it. So from a personal perspective, what would be your advice for young women, young men, whomever, who are looking to find a mentor or someone to direct them? What is your approach on how you handle that in particular? Like I said, LinkedIn is seems like it's become like this hotbed now for people to connect. That's how I, you're actually connected with your, your agency. They, they reached out to me. So I'm thankful for that. And we went through the process and they found my show, but if they're a young VC or an entrepreneur and they're looking to kind of get counsel, how do you handle that? And what would your advice be for them to get that sort of help? So there are so many solutions now. So if you are female specifically, there's C-Sweetener, and that's based here in Silicon Valley, and it's women mentoring women. If, uh, you know, whatever gender you are, you can go on LinkedIn. It's crazy. This woman, Olivia, and she's amazing. She's two years out of her undergrad, and she found my friend Ben on LinkedIn, who's a mentor. So I guess there mm -hmm. are now mentors on LinkedIn who then referred her to me. And so she had a call with Ben, who then then she had a call with me as a as um, a coach, and then I introduced her to other people in some of my women's groups that will help her take her career farther. So one LinkedIn mentoring session for a 24 year old new out of college changed her life. Wow. Well, <laughs> and I think staying in your lane too is important, right? Would you say it's best for them to maybe start local and find somebody locally that they? could connect with or do you say shoot for the stars <laughs> shoot for the stars i mean there's no such thing as everything's going virtual right mm. and so over the next five years it's not going to matter at all where people are located especially with virtual reality meeting rooms and things like that love it love it so thank you so much robin for being here if people want to connect with you or find more about you or even reach out to you how can they do that so um I am the only Robin Farman Farmian in the entire universe. It's easy to find me on, on any of the social media platforms. And my website is robinff.com. And you can download the free workbook that comes along with the Thought Leader formula. You don't even have to buy the book. You can just get the workbook. And that gives you the template and the step-by-step -step instructions on how to build yourself into a thought leader. Yes, Robin, thank you so much for joining me. And everybody, all of her information will be in the show notes. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. We'll
Alrighty, that brings episode 146 to a close. Thanks to Robin Farm and Farmian for being on the show. Be sure to subscribe, listen, let us know what you think. Thanks for joining in and being a part of today's show. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be safe, be blessed, have fun. Love your family, love your kids, love everybody. We'll talk to you soon. That brings today's episode to a close. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed today's episode, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a kind rating and review. It really does help. Until next time, cheers and be well.